How are you this morning? Um, next week, I just want to let you know, so we're, we're going to start a series um, next week called Modern Family or Healthy Family. And for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about uh, what family might look like in our culture, but what possibly um, the scriptures say about what it's supposed to look like. And we're going to com- convey that as, as, as the body of Christ, we're supposed to resemble a family too. So there's going to be several things we're going to deal with. I mean, everything from how you be a good spouse to being a good parent, to if you're a single parent, to if you're a single person, and how that, how what that looks like as you grow through your adult years and different things like that. Um, how to, how to, how, what, what time, the stress of time and what it does to a family and, and not having enough of it and, and finances and how that does it. What if you have a, I've had a family situation where it's completely collapsed or it's completely dysfunctional and how do you contend with that scripturally? So, so over the next several weeks, um, sorry, next week, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to dive in there. So I just want to, you know, if, if, you're struggling with some issues, be here. If you know some, somebody who's struggling with some family issues, um, be there, um, and, and we'll go that way. Um, we've got Bibles there in front of you in, in, the, in the pew. If you need one, it's yours. Take it with you. We insist. Um, if, if you don't have one, uh, it, it's a gift to you from us. If you do have one, you can get it open and turn to Matthew 28. And usually I look at the page number in that little book and I forgot to. So, so if you see somebody scrambling trying to figure out what Matthew 28 is, uh, you can help them there. The U version, it's, it, it's on, if you've got an iPad or an iPhone or smartphone or whatever phone you got, electronics, and you want to use that, you can follow me uh, using the U version app and uh, information up on the screen. So um, you guys catch the, the, the video? What if disciple making looked like something other than what we're used to? What if it looked like that? That's kind of my question today. Um, we spent the last month talking about discipleship and following Jesus and all of that and what that probably looks like in regards to Scripture and probably how it is a, an opposing view of what we actually see maybe. Um, that that it, it takes more than just belief it takes giving your life to Christ completely and totally it how that Jesus said follow me and that means all of a sudden the life, your life stops being your own and um today I'm going to kind of just do a follow up kind of a message because we've talked about we've talked about what discipleship is we've talked about the why of discipleship we've talked about the how of it but I want to talk about the with whom today when I was in when I was a freshman in high school I was, and I went to high school in Florida, and um, in Florida, a lot of their schools are, are big open campuses. They're not, they're not one big building. They're a bunch of small buildings spread out everywhere, okay, with maybe some uh, walkways that are covered and different things like that. And oftentimes, uh, they didn't require you to, you know, actually go to the cafeteria for lunch. There were benches spread out throughout the campus, and so you could go eat lunch out there or do whatever. And so as was my normal mode of operation, I would spend my, my lunch times uh, out on one of those benches because um, I was a PB&J guy. Anybody a PB&J guy? Hmm? PB, and there's, not, there's nothing better than peanut butter and jelly, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, especially if it's Jif, you know. Um, when you get when you get to heaven, the big table is spread. There will be a there will be a, a, a jar of Jif on the table. I promise. And if my grandmother's there, there'll be a big jar of Smucker's strawberry preserves sitting right right next to it. And she is there, so I'm sure it will be. And um, so I was out there eating my lunch one day, and suddenly I found myself sitting next to a fellow named Rob. Got him, Rob Shorey. I'm going to cry if I'm not careful. 
I didn't mean this for this to happen. And Rob and I met one afternoon in the spring of our freshman year. Turned out, unbeknownst to us, we just lived blocks away from each other. It was just in the same neighborhood, the same little subdivision area. We lived just a, just a couple of stop signs away. Didn't know each other. Had gone to school with the eighth grade together in the same, the same school. Didn't know each other. And so we, we, we meet, as, as the Lord would have it, right there on that bench eating lunch together. And we just kept coming back to that bench. I didn't realize what God was doing at that time. Rob was not a follower of Jesus at the time. And I was probably more one of those Christians I've been talking about the last few weeks that was more of a, just a Christian who went to church when I felt like it and kind of believed but really didn't do anything with what, what, what my faith was. And, and in fact, I, and in a lot of ways with Rob, I was probably a really bad witness, honestly. And, but somehow God called us to walk together. And by our senior year, Rob finds himself following Jesus. And I found myself reassessing what my life looked like. And God had used each of us in different ways in each other's life to bring us to a point where we were really considering what life is supposed to be. And for me, that became a really pivotal point. I, I emailed Rob this week, and, and we talked back and forth a little bit, just thinking about him and his family. and and. And just things that have gone on. And, and um, here I am. I'm going to sound really old. It's been 24 years since I graduated. A lot of road has passed. We moved, we moved away. Like within like two days of graduation, I moved away. Moved back here to Ohio. But God had something in the works for us that I did not realize. God expected us to be there for each other. For those three and a half years or so, we were the best of friends and became intricate in each other's spiritual development and growth. And that was God's plan. We as Christians have to realize it's not, it's not just about us understanding things and knowing certain things and being, I was, I was sent to school to learn something of academia, Right? That was, my, that was my job, my purpose for being at school. But God's plan was more than me just learning things. His plan for me during that time at Dixie Hollins High School in St. Petersburg, Florida, from the years of 1985 to 1989, were more about a guy named Rob and our friendship and our relationship and, and, and our spiritual development than it was about me learning calculus. Than it was about Rob learning to be a, a, an architectural design guy. It was, it was more than that. And for us as Christians, we show up in a place like this week in and week out. And our hope is that we will learn something. But God's hope is that we'll be much more than just learning. His hope is that there will be a catalytic thing that will go on in this place. And suddenly, you will find yourself being so compelled by the vision and the heart of God that your life has impetus and, 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 and impact and, 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 and things in the lives of other people. Some who are already following Jesus, some who are not yet following Jesus, some who have only been following Jesus for a, for a short period of time, and others who have been following for a long time, but somehow God intended for you to be together at this moment, at this place. And so what if church doesn't look like just an organized sitting? Uh, what, what, if, what if we are the church? And our, I sat at Elizabeth's Hope fundraising banquet Thursday night. There were two incredible testimonies given. 
And I'm, I'm sitting at table number 36 at Chillicothe Baptist Church, listening to a ministry that's just growing and thriving. You know what I found? I found that two people who sit here every Sunday were instrumental in the lives of people because they weren't content just to sit and learn something in a service. They wanted what God had placed inside of them to change people's lives. The director of Elizabeth's Hope is serving Christ today. You know why? Because a lady from this church, she's sitting over here somewhere right now. And she will remain nameless and faceless unless she wants to tell you about it. Do you know what happens? We, we pull up poster, poster children and we think, I could never be like them because they do this and they do that. But you know what? God's looking for nameless, famous, faceless people just to be at the office. Took time to pray with her. And within months, weeks, she gave her heart to Christ. Now she runs a ministry. There was a couple there who found themselves pregnant, unmarried. They lose that baby because of their connection to Elizabeth's hope. They find themselves, uh, lives change. They end up homeless during the course of the summer. Today, because of a man who goes to church here, who took on a, a, an opportunity to serve in the dad's program to train younger men to be dads. They are married. They have a home. They're waiting for a new baby to be born, and they give God all the glory. That is ministry. That is being a disciple. That is being the church. That's beautiful. And I cried. I cried. Let's go ahead. Do that. And the real point is, is on this way that we're on, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus wants all of us to be those kinds of people. So turn, me, turn with me to Matthew 28. This is the final words of Jesus. His final and great commission, we call it the great commission, Jesus gives as he's leaving the planet. Leaving the earth, Matthew 28, 18, we've probably read it a few times over the last few weeks. It says there, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Beautiful, beautiful words. Beautiful, beautiful words. In there, Jesus says this, go and make disciples. And the funny part about that, that, that thing is, um, the, the, we, we, have, we have two English words, make disciples. In, in, in the original language, there's, there's, there's one Greek word, uh, the, the New Testament is written in, in Greek. I don't know if you guys understand that or not. I don't want to presume that everybody gets that. It was written a long time ago. It was written in the Greek language. We go back to the manuscripts. Here's what we do. We, 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 we translate from Greek to English. That word in Greek is one word, make disciples. Now, it has a couple of different meanings, okay? 
I won't tell you the Greek because it'd be Greek to you. And what difference does that make, right? But it means to make disciples. It means to be, according to the the, the New American Standard Bible Dictionary, it means means to be a pupil and to produce or instruct a pupil within the same word. It means to be a learner and to make another learner. Do you get that? Vine's Expository Dictionary of the New Testament says it's like this. A disciple was not only a pupil, but an adherent. They were stuck to something. They'd adhere, they would adhere to a particular thing. Hence, they were spoken more of as imitators of their teachers than just mere pupils. Okay? Imitators. And so Jesus says these words. He says, go and make disciples. And he says, go teach them what I taught you. In other words, go imitate me. If I were to, uh, this word means to be a disciple, make a disciple. Not just pupils, but imitators of the teacher. Here's the idea. In order to be a disciple, you have to both be being discipled and be, listen, be making other disciples. If either of those two things are not currently at work in your life, you cannot consider yourself. It's not either or. It's both and simultaneously. If you look at your life and you can't, you are not clearly being grown and fostered by the growth of another spiritual being, another being spiritually, there's something missing. If you're not currently giving away stuff Jesus is giving you and helping other people walk with Jesus, you're missing something. You cannot call yourself a disciple. It's an impossibility just by the mere definition of the word. You might be a a church attender, you might, you might be even a tither, you, you might be a, a Sunday school teacher, you might be, I don't know, an usher, you might be, I don't know, just think of any, any, any role you can play here at church, that does not necessarily mean you are f- potentially fully living up to being a disciple. If I were to, if I were to, to kind of, kind of, kind of bring it down into like an Aaron translation of, of this piece of scripture, we just, we just uh, kind of break it down. Jesus said these words: "You've been discipled. Now go and disciple." And by the way, this discipling thing I started with you—oh, it's not over yet, because I'm with you clear to the end of the age. So we're going to keep growing together. That's what he's telling him. All authority in heaven has been given to me, and so here's the deal: this is an eternal thing. A few weeks, ago, a few months ago, we did we did we did that series with the shapes. Remember that had all those different geometric shapes hanging on the wall back here. We talked about repentance, and we talked about um, Mike Breen, the guy who actually kind of developed those concepts. He made a statement like this: If you make disciples, you always get the church. But if you make a church, you rarely get disciples. That's hard to swallow. You know what he's saying? If our endeavor is just merely to, to, to make a church, to develop a church setting where we just show up and somebody is a professional and they teach and we do all that stuff and things, then, then we rarely get people actually make it their business to carry the Great Commission wherever they go. But on the other hand, if we endeavor to invest in the lives of people, then suddenly that changes. 
I want you to think about this. Jesus spoke to hundreds. He would speak in, in, in settings like this, on the Sermon on the Mount, out by the Sea of Galilee. I mean, he would, he would have big places where he would proclaim the gospel to people and he would proclaim the ideas of the kingdom. But you know what? It was rare that anybody outside of 12 guys ever got any real-time investment from Jesus. Rare. There were a bunch of people who showed up to Jesus' meetings. But we, we often refer to the 12 guys who follow him as what? The disciples. You get what I'm saying? The disciples. Not like they, they were the guys who were following. They were getting invested. You know what? And the other thing about this is Jesus took, took, took those 12 guys, gave as much as he could to them. And then he took three of them individually, kind of right aside, Peter, James, and John, the scriptures would tell us. And he, gave, he, gave, he just poured him, his whole self into them. You know what that means? Jesus was only really capable of pouring himself into 12 people. And he really gave himself to three guys. You know what that means? Me, any other leader that's a part of this church, if, we're, if we are functioning at the capacity of Jesus, if, I'm just going to tell you right now, I know what this guy, I'm not going to speak for every leader in this church, but I'm going to speak for this guy right here. I do not function at the capacity of Jesus, just in case any of you are wondering. And so you know what that means? I at most can give myself completely to 12 people. At most. If I really want to give myself, at most, I can give myself to three people. I sat with a group of leaders from our church every, 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 every significant ministry yesterday. Had eight of them, almost all of them there. Eight of them there. You know what that means? If all of us would, would function completely at the total rate that Jesus was, you know what that means? We can handle 96 people. Do you know how many people just show up here on a Sunday morning? Somewhere, average, between 280 and 290. So we're already, if we do all the work, we're already, we're already three times beyond our capacity to handle. If we really want to pour our lives into, in, into people, the most, the core leadership that were in my house last yesterday, the most we can give to people is 20, to really give ourselves to people is two dozen. That's a tenth. Less than a tenth of the people who show up here on this property during a Sunday morning. You know what that means? We need all of your help. I cannot sit down and walk through every piece of discipleship material with every person who, who's just gotten saved or just showed up to church. You know what they need? They need somebody who could be Jesus with skin on. And if each of us would really give ourselves to giving our, giving our faith away to someone, we, we could change the world. Jesus took those 12 guys. You know what? You know, he, he said, go, go and trust this to other people. He didn't expect them to, 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 to give into the lives of thousands. He says, take some and give it away. And then it just kept spreading. For you, that means this. You need to start looking around your life. And how can you both be being discipled and be helping somebody else be a disciple? That's what that means. Uh, he, 
God intends for us to produce a following. But it takes every one of us. It takes every one of us. He intends for us to start a following that involves love, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, that involves forsaking the things of the world, that involves forgiveness, but we can't do it by ourselves. I told you a couple weeks ago that, that Jesus said these words in Luke 14, 14 26. Talk about forsaking things. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Those are strong words, aren't they? Jesus isn't telling you to hate people. He's saying in comparison to how much you love me, there should be such a gap between your love for me and your love for other people that it looks like it's in a whole other realm. Are you getting that? Your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, even your own life, otherwise you can't be my disciple. You, give, you, 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 you forsake things. But in your forsaking, listen to these words, you are not forsaken. Because Jesus makes a proclamation here in Mark 10 as he's talking to, uh, as, as, as he and Peter are having a conversation, it says, Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus says some really neat words. Yes, he replies, Mark 20, 10, 29. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for the sake of the good news, the gospel, will receive now in return a hundred times those things. And it, there's, there's like a three-word phrase. Most of us would like to just skim right over. And if we had like a, you know, a, you know pick your own ending like Bible thing like the you know, like kids read. We'd skip right over the next three phrases, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. You know what Jesus is saying? You may have to walk away from some relationships because of your following me, but I'm going to supply more than adequate enough of, uh, uh, of, of, of that to you. So how does he intend to do that? He intends to create another family that's spiritual, that's beyond physical, that's beyond biological. He intends for us to have spiritual parents and grandparents. He intends for us to be spiritual brothers and sisters. He intends for us to be spiritual grandchildren. He intends for us to find ourselves in a family where even though we've had to walk away from things that are some things that are biological and, 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 and are comfortable and easy, that he says, you know what, I will give back to you more than that. Some of you have had to do that. You know that. That when, once you came to Christ, the way you lived, the what you used to do, in, in your heart, you can, you, cannot, you can no longer live that. And suddenly, you find yourself without friends. Suddenly, your parents don't want anything to do with you. Suddenly, even brothers and sisters are like, what are you, what are you smoking? We want the old you back, right? You're like, I can't go back. There's nothing back there. There's nothing but frustration. There's nothing but discouragement. There's nothing but destruction. There's nothing that I can't go back there. Now, where do I find myself? You should find yourself alongside of other people who have decided to follow the same journey. Well, Jesus made it pretty clear. We as his true followers will never find ourselves in the majority. He said there's this broad way that leads to death, but there's this narrow way that leads to life. It's never going to be like this. Look, everybody's going to just jump on board and be woo, happy with everything that's going on with the, 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 the life of a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Jesus, this is a beautiful statement. Psalm 68, 5 says this. 
he becomes the fatherless to the fa- the father to the fatherless, the defender of widows. This is God, whose dwelling is holy. His dwelling is in a building. His dwelling is where his people are. If you read another passage of Psalms, he dwells in the praises of his people. It would say, okay. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. But he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. You know how solitary is set in families? It's by each of us playing our role that is for the benefit of someone else. And using what God's placed in us to help them. If you read 1 Corinthians 12, if you read Romans 12, if you, you read Ephesians 4, all of those things that are what we call gifts that we think about being used right here aren't just about just, you know, 9 to 11 and 1 or whatever on Sundays when we're having trunk or treat or whatever. It's about us having certain things placed in us by God to help to walk out every day of our lives. It's about us giving away what Christ has placed it. They call them give, he calls them gifts on purpose. He gave them to us, and he intends for us to give them away to other people. And we form a community of faith. Here's the thing. This, this thing, if, I don't know if you pay attention to the video during the offering. This thing is to, is to be relational and organic, not scheduled and programmatic. Because you know what happens when ministry becomes a machine? None of us have time, money, or anything to make it happen. But on the other hand, God intended for these disciples to change the world one life, one person at a time. Now, I can't reach all of Jim's buddies at South Central Power. If the entire crew that Jim's worked with would show up at this church and suddenly would get saved on one Sunday morning, you know what? You know how you know how you know how much of that Aaron, Pastor Aaron could handle? Probably one of those guys, in conjunction with everything else that I'm trying to keep up with with everybody else and everything else. Maybe if I'm lucky, I could keep up with one guy. On the other hand, if Jim takes one or two guys, he and Matt kind of work for the same, and Matt takes one or two guys. And then they learn from them, and each of them take one or two guys, and each one of them take one or two guys, and then each one of them, and it just, you know what? For long, you got a church that's being a church that has nothing to do with an address or a website or, or a program, a schedule. For years, we have tried to help you people make community a part of your life by offering this thing. We've called them home groups, cell groups, small groups, connection groups, whatever. And right now, today, you know how many of you actually participate in a, in, a, in a connection group? About 108 on a regular basis. You know what that means? Maybe a third, and this is counting some guys from a veteran's home, so you can drop it down below 100, okay? You know what that means? Most of you are not having any kind of Christian community other than showing up for an hour and a half and listening to me blab my gums. Unless you're creating it on your own somewhere. Get what I'm saying? And I wonder how much, of, how much of your Christian life are you giving away? Or how much of it is just for you? Because that really makes, the, if the, the world changes one life, one person, one experience. One, one Lisa Cutler who now is running Elizabeth's Hope. One one, I forget their names off the top of my head. 
Oh, man, the other couple that was there. One family, one couple at a time. EJ and Bridget, beautiful, man. Group of guys, two or three people gathering around them to just give them the bread of life. It's beautiful, man. God intends for you to give away the life he's given you. Jesus didn't say go start a great program. He said go, go, go and start disciples. Go, go and make disciples. He didn't, he didn't say, you know, go develop some amazing organization. He said go be the body of Christ. That's what he said. Now there has to be an organizational element to it just to keep things going in the right direction. But the problem is we rely on that like it's the whole thing. You know what? It's supposed to be structure. The part of your body that's structure is bones. You never see them. And if all you have is bones, you can't get anywhere very fast. If there's not, what, what, what was that kid president said a couple weeks ago? You've got, you got oxygen in your nose. You've got blood in your veins. If you don't have that, you don't have, you can't, even if you've got a great structure, you don't have, you, you, you can't get anywhere. If there's not muscle and tendon, if there's not lungs and heart, if there's not mouths and ears and eyes and hands and feet, you can't get anywhere, even if you have a great structure, even if your bone density is awesome. You can't get very far. And so we, Jesus wants us to be alive and growing. He says, many are led by, many have Jesus breathed into his disciples, says, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed into them the breath of life, just like he did in Genesis chapter 1 to Adam and Eve. He said, just go. You know, my, my body doesn't call a committee meeting every time something's going on. If I'm sitting on my couch and suddenly there's a chill that, 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 a chill that, 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 that happens, you know what, what happens? My skin responds just because it's naturally my skin. And the goosebumps form. And then suddenly, I go, my brain goes, hey, we got to do something about that. And then naturally, my hands will do something like this. Or, and if it gets too cold, you know what happens? I don't even really think about it. I walk, there's this closet right in our living room. I walk to the closet, open it up. There are blankets and coats and sweaters in there. I grab one of those, and we've handled the cold problem. Didn't have to wait for 15 weeks to figure out how we get, do we have representation? Can you do that right? No, you know, my, body, my, my body didn't do that. My body just responded to the cold and took care of the problem. Right? Because, you know what? I had good training as a young person. My mom told me, Aaron, if you have a problem with cold, you can, put, you can get a blanket, you can get a cold. And that stuck there, and my brain went, hey, we've been trained to do that. We can handle that. Hey, my friend needs his help. You know what? Prayerfully, when a body is nourished correctly, it responds correctly. When it processes the nourishment it's getting correctly, good things happen. And rarely does your body have to have this big beating to make sure everybody knows what they're doing. They just, everybody just does their thing. Right? We are called more times than not in the New Testament the body of Christ. And, and I know for one thing, at this, at this church, you've received more than good nourishment over a long period of time, decades. The nourishment's not the problem. I don't know, you know, I don't know. Sometimes, 
We should respond. When we see somebody who needs help on this Christian faith, we should not have to make a phone call to the pastor. Hey, can you disciple my neighbor? No. You should disciple your neighbor. If you read Ephesians chapter 4, what I'm doing is what I'm doing right now. I equip you with the understanding of what God expects and the tools that are going to do it, and then it becomes your job to spend time with your neighbor to help them grow with Jesus. Well, let's have a class. No, let's have a life. Let's live a life. We have classes. There's an academic level of this. It has to be handled to make sure we stay doctrinally sound and all that stuff. But listen, the biggest thing is not that we learn a lot. The biggest thing is that we are nourished spiritually and soulishly enough that when we need, when God needs us to go into action, we just can. When your neighbor's at the hospital, I am not the guy with the magic touch. My name is not Midas. You can go pray for your neighbor's hospital just as much as I can. Not that I won't, but God intends for you to do it. He intends for you to be the exhibition of his power and his grace and his love and his truth. He intends for you to be that. Not just me by myself. Not just me and a core group of leaders who run different kinds of ministries here at this church. We have a vocational calling to do certain things, yes. But our biggest job, according to Ephesians 4, is this. To train you, to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Go read it. Okay. I need a big, I need a big cinder block. Think of this. Paul and Barnabas. Silas, all of us need those guys in our life. All of us need a Paul who encourages us and, 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 and helps us become what we're supposed to become. All of us, all of us need a Timothy. That what's been deposited in us gets transferred into them. And all of us need a Silas or a Barnabas who we just do get to, get to walk alongside of and get encouraged. If one of us falls, we get to get, get backed up, right? That's, Paul, that's Paul's paradigm throughout the, 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 his epistles. He, he talks about that. He talks to Titus like, he's, like I, you're my son. One of my, one of my favorite pieces of scripture is, is two epistles. And I kind of throw them in together because they're right, they're right close to each other in the scripture. Okay? Ephesians and Colossians. You know why Ephesians and Colossians are big to me? Because Paul does an amazing work in a place called Ephesus, and he writes a letter to this church. While he's there, there's a guy named Epaphras that Paul gets a chance to minister to and grow up in the ministry. And Epaphras leaves Ephesus and runs to a place called Colossae where there's a church that starts because of Epaphras, not because of Paul. And because Paul took time to disciple Epaphras, Epaphras goes and just does what becomes natural as a body of Christ. He starts something wherever he went. And suddenly a church grows up in a little town that Paul never visited, yet he writes a letter to as his spiritual grandchildren, his spiritual family. And so he, he calls them to do that. And so there's all of the, I want you to think about who's your father? I mean, if Coach Boone were here, he said, who's your daddy, Right? We know who our heavenly father is, but who, men, who, who, who's your spiritual dad? Who's the guy you get some, some direction from and some counsel from and some, some help from when you don't know what to do? Who is your spiritual brother that you know is in the trench with you and knows you, you, you can, you can, if you fall, they're going to help you get back up? Who, who is your spiritual son? Because 
If you don't have a spiritual image, how can you say you're a living thing? If you read Genesis, God created living things to reproduce after their kind. That's a spiritual and a physical thing all at the same time. Mom, woman, who's your spiritual mother? Who's your spiritual sister? Who is your spiritual daughter that you have, have, a, have saw grow into the things of God? If you can't see it, I know, uh, there's something missing. Something's not happening like it needs to. Uh, there's got to be a, a transfer. I was I talked about Knesset groups a minute ago. Knesset groups aren't, 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 the, aren't the end. They're the beginning of that. They're the start of that. Small group community ministry is the beginning of us locating our spiritual family. But it's not the end. It's just the beginning. And prayerfully, as we reproduce, our families get bigger, right? And Johnny moves away to Texas, and his family keeps going, right? It keeps happening. And we can't stop it. And we get, that should be happening with this, this family of, of Christ called Church Triumphant. In First John, you'll find these words. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we've heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life, speaking of Jesus. The one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. See, that's the key. They're giving things away. They're giving things away. They're giving what Jesus gave them, and they're having fellowship around those things. They're having life together around those things because they have come to a conclusion that Jesus just didn't talk about eternal life. He is eternal life, and eternal life is supposed to start taking shape right now. If you don't know Christ, let me tell you this, and you're you're, you're just in a mere existence mode, listen, Jesus came to give you life, John 10.10 says. It's beautiful. He, He came to give you life. And to give it to you to a level that you've never had before. And th- let me hear me hear me out. This does not mean it's easy. And this does not mean everything smooths out. And this does not mean that everything's sunny every day. It means this. That he's in the middle of it with you. Like that song we sang this morning. In the storm. He's right there. All the step of the way. And he'll supply people. Watchman Nee said these words, let death never cease working in me. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. I've I've given my life away for the cause of Christ. Let death never cease working me, that life may never cease to flow out into others. That's beautiful. Philip Melanchthon said this, we are saved by faith alone, but not faith that remains alone. That's good. Our need and purpose are fulfilled in one thing, community. Our needs are met in community. Our purpose is fulfilled in community. God's entrusted you with a deposit of spiritual things. And the only way you live up to your purpose is to find it in the lives of other people. You find your purpose in giving the things away God's given you. You find it by doing life with people. Galatians 6, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You know what Paul's saying? I don't care how busy you are. 
if you're that important that you can't stop to help somebody, you think too highly of yourself. If you can't make a space in your life, you think you're too important. You're not that important, he goes on to say. You're not that important. Those are Paul's words, not mine. Let's read in Scripture. Romans 12. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. You need help getting through this life. And Jesus supplies it. So I want to ask you a question. Who's getting getting the benefit? who's, Who's growing because of your life in Christ? Who? 